You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Alive, an ongoing and monthly conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order. Today we are discussing the 10th animated feature, Melody Time, which was released in 1948. Um, it's a compilation of seven shorts. It had originally been intended as an anthology of American folk heroism, um, but the only heroes who survived were Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill. Uh, I'm Josh Altmanchofer, and with me, as always, is a real-life pioneer of Christian podcasting, Michael Farmer. His shadow stretches far across the internet, and uh, his reality has not yet faded into le- legend. So, yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm I'm so I'm out there sowing my own boundless faith and courage. <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> faith and courage, and, and bringing hope to to others to do their to do their job well as well so and and like johnny appleseed when i go into the woods the animals all circle around me <laughs> i would like to see that <laughs> so um yeah uh seven seven shorts i think um at the beginning of this movie the narrator i can't remember if it's in narration or in song um but describes it as um everything from something ridiculous to something sublime I don't know how you feel they did. I think that's accurate. I think there is both the ridiculous and the sublime in this uh, in this movie. Uh, no real overarching theme that that I could see. As I said in the opening, it was it was meant to originally be a bunch of uh, folk tales of heroism, but that's only only two of the of the seven are. Do you know who um, else they'd consider? I assume they were going to do like a John Henry short, maybe Paul Bunyan. You know, um, this this movie really gets short shrift in the. Uh, it sure does. In the in the um, even in the books that I, that I'm reading, I've the uh, the Walt Disney um, the Walt Disney biography actually has a great quote about. So around the time of this movie is when Walt Disney and his famous uh, obsession with trains was coming about, and he was building his. Uh, um, he built a one twelfth scale size locomotive, I think, on on his, you know, um, running around his his home. Uh, are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah. 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 Um, it's it's pretty endearing. Yeah. So, but as endearing as it as it may be, there's a there's a great quote here um, from someone who's visiting the studio around that time, and uh, uh, it was New York Times film critic. Uh, 
Bosley Crowther, maybe is how you pronounce his name, uh, was struck by how in- uninterested Walt seemed in movies and how wholly, almost weirdly, concerning concerned with the building of a miniature railroad engine and a string of cars in the workshops of the studio. All of his zest for invention, for creating fantasies, seemed to be going into this plaything. Crowther said, I came away feeling sad. Sad because Walt Disney, the man who had helped shape the American imagination, was now spending most of his time playing with trains. Huh. That is kind of... And it is true, and I hope I don't offend any of our listeners. Uh, the men who have the elaborate miniature train sets uh, always seem to be kind of sad. Yeah. Like, not not so much that I feel bad for them, they just seem like they are sad. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I, I, may, yeah, that may be true, but I... Yeah, I, I think the, I think they're they're fun, but I definitely don't have the time or the the energy to put into them right now. That's right. Yeah, so. I, and you know the thing is, I'm surprised to hear that because this this movie would seem to have the spark that something like Make Mine Music lacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this movie this movie feels like a Disney movie again, and you know, Fun and Fancy Free did to some extent, but this one it feels like they're back. I agree, but yeah, the spark is not. Walt Disney's interest apparently at, at this time. So I don't know if it's just the animators coming into their own or, or what, but I, I agree that there's more of a spark in this, in this than, than some of the, the more recent ones that we've seen. I should say that, um, they, they did end up making shorts for a number of other folk heroes. So, um, there's a Paul Bunyan short that's really wonderful from the late fifties I think there's a Captain Stormalong short, although I could be wrong about that, and I don't know what its vintage is. I think there's a John Henry short from the late 90s that's pretty good. It, it, it is very, very African-American, as it should be. I mean, John Henry is an African-American folk hero. Uh, is that it? There's my, a. My li- did they do Casey, Casey Jones or no? Yes, they did the Brave Engineer. That's right, um, and that's that's right around this time, I think. I know that that short is included on the DVD for Make Mine Music. So, I mean, they they now they could put together such a a package. And in fact, I think they did. I think there was a VHS in the '90s that had nothing but folk heroes on it. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, American Legends Volume One and Two, maybe, perhaps. Um, that's that's where. So I have a, I have a friend who. Who gave me extensive notes on this movie, which was very in- enjoyable. Um, I put out a call uh, for for anybody. As I say, it's a it's an ongoing conversation, and we would love people to join the conversation. So a friend of mine gave me a bunch of notes, and he he had said that he, uh, growing up in Ohio, had watched uh, Johnny Appleseed quite a bit because um, oh sure yeah uh, most of the the trees that he planted I guess are in Ohio, but. Um, also, he said that his kids had seen it because uh, it's on American Legends Volume One and Two. So maybe that's maybe that's the uh, VHS that you're talking of. That is the one I'm talking about. Although I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, there is also we should point out a live action movie in the '90s called I think Tall Tales. I've not seen it. Patrick Swayze plays Pecos Bill. Yeah. Any of our listeners who are fans of that, feel free to write in and tell us. I think my wife has seen it. <laughs> Yeah, and so do, do you remember that? I remember uh, that. I, I do not remember that, but I was I was just going to say for people who are curious about the meaning of our name before they were alive, because I I do get that question now and again. It's you know the the whole idea is that we're we're looking at the movies before they were turned into live action by by Disney. So it, that might have been the first one if you think about it. Yeah, it's very appropriate, I guess, that uh, Pecos Bill. <laughs> 
<laughs> would be the first since he's a. It's, the, well, the thing about that, and I know we'll get to Pecos Bill in a few minutes, but the thing about that is Pecos Bill works so much better as a cartoon, right? You could make a live action movie of Johnny Appleseed, but Pecos Bill, by his very nature, is some somebody you can't portray. I mean, what, how are you going to have him riding the tornado? Right. And I guess which, of course is missing from this print of the movie. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is is part of my yeah. My my disregard for most of these new movies coming out is that I I am such a big fan of the animation and I so I want the animated um, you know the things that animation can do that that live action can't although the, I mean they're becoming so blended these days with the with the CGI and stuff which is basically animation anyway I saw that they're doing a live action Lady and the Tramp and Ugh. like. <laughs> okay, great. But Lady and the Tramp are still going to be animated, right? So I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. Or the live-action Lion King. I, you know, I have to say I'm grateful for this show because it gives me a really good excuse to not have to see those live-action movies. Yeah. So yeah. even if even if people I know want to go see it, I can say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I belong to a podcast that is uh, ethically against it. That's right. Yeah. That's that's my blessing that I'm spreading across the land. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Feel free, fans of the podcast, to make good excuse. Yeah, use that as an excuse to not see this movie. Don't you count a love December When the merry snowbirds chime We're together once upon a winter time single snowflake falling plays a jingle down your spine lovely weather once upon a winter time on the frozen pond folks are swaying oh, so once upon a winter time is where we start which I think is uh, perhaps the weakest in, in this uh Oh, um, do you disagree? Huh. I I think uh, blame it on the samba is the weakest. Uh, but you're right. Once upon a winter time is certainly not the best. I, you know, I, I hesitate to even put it down toward the bottom because I really think it's a charming little short. So so we're in a different position than we were with Make Mine Music. Make Mine Music, we disliked most of the shorts, uh, as I recall. Here, I think most of them are really pretty good. So I guess I don't have a problem with you calling Once Upon a Wintertime the weakest, but I still like it. It's still, you know, I don't mind watching it the way I did with some of the shorts in Make Mine Music. That's right. Yeah, I would, for sure, I, I'd watch it. It's, uh, I guess, yeah, it just doesn't, it didn't grab me really. You're, you're right that it is a sweet little short, but yeah, go, go ahead. Tell, tell us the tell us the plot line or what, what jumped out to you that, that makes you uh, a fan I, I just I think it's kind of sweet and uh, th- there's an unexpected twist at the end. So you have uh, you have these two, you have a happy couple taking a sleigh ride through the winter. It's December, according to the song. They begin to skate on what appears to be a frozen pond, and uh, the the male half of the couple acts like a real jag, and the female half of the couple pretends to be angry, and skates away with a female rabbit who is in a similar situation. 
the the natural world in Once Upon a Winter Time really mirrors the human world, uh, only to find themselves on thin ice. And it turns out the frozen pond is a frozen river with an enormous waterfall, like just a a huge Niagara Falls sized waterfall on the other side. And the the male human and the male rabbit are too incompetent to rescue them. So all these other animal couples come together to save them, and they lived happily ever after. You know, it, it's not much. Uh, it's it's pretty corny most of the time but i think the the decision to have the the male lovers not be able to rescue their mates is really really uh really kind of funny and and to have the squirrels and the birds do it when the the men couldn't i think is uh is a good choice yeah and the horses don't forget the horses that's right yeah yeah but but again i mean it's nothing that'll blow you away, but it's it's cute and sweet, and the song's all right. The song is sung by Francis Langford, who was a popular singer of the time. Yeah, um, I really like the song when the the choir jumps in, and they're they they're kind of singing as choirs do, you know, like over the top of each other, slightly different uh, things. I, I I really enjoyed that part and um, in the music. Yeah, uh, I, I have to take issue with one part of the song, though, which is it seems to be suggesting that December is the end of the wintertime. I don't know <laughs> what part of the country they're living in, but uh, you got a few more months there. <laughs> yeah. If they're living in a part of the country where it is cold enough to skate on a pond in <laughs> December, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this, is, this is made by Californians. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's also very nostalgic. Uh, they, they, I don't know that they come from a land before there's the automobile, but it certainly there's no automobiles in this, so mm-hmm. it it certainly has a feel from being turn of the century or earlier. Uh, in that respect, Disney's always simultaneously nostalgic and futurist, so I I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, Allison was wondering about the the clothing when we watched it. She was like, "Do people dress like that in 1948?" No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of the character design in this? So it reminded me a little bit of the uh, the ones in um, oh, all the all the cats join in, um, just yeah. a very flat style. The color, like not like the the coloring, is, was very flat as well. Like not a lot of texture or anything to the colors. Um, very thin kind of um, borders on the characters. I didn't. I didn't find it as charming as all the cats join in though. And again, that could be my own nostalgia because I grew up watching a version of all the cats join in. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't find particularly the humans. I just felt like there was, there was something about them was out of proportion. The animals didn't bother me as much. The animals I, I felt were fine. Um, well, she doesn't have a nose, which once you notice is difficult to enjoy. Yeah. And, and he has a nose, but it's, it's like a round circle. Like, I don't, yeah, he, he looked kind of clownish. I think because of the nose. Um, so, yeah. So that that part I think was was a little jarring for me. The back. I really love the backgrounds. Yeah. Was I, were you going to say that? That's what I was about to say. Yeah, the backgrounds I were I thought were gorgeous though. I really I liked the look of the trees. I liked yeah. Um, they at one point they go past. You know, they go over a bridge, like a, one of the covered bridges, and they go over a, or the, where they're skating is next to a, a water mill um, that's all covered in ice and snow. And so I found all that that very nice. I, I liked it. At one point, the the trees look almost like chalk. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I, I really, the backgrounds all throughout this movie are wonderful, but they do begin with Once Upon a Winter Time, and to me it makes up for the terrible character design. Yeah, I... You're right, though, it is just the people. The animals look fine. The horses the horses are very good. As we talked about in Snow White, it's apparently very difficult to animate horses. Yeah, I think the horses look great. In fact, the horses are of a style that I feel like um, I couldn't quite place them where I'd seen a very similar styled horse before. Um, I think uh, I think it's Prince Philip's horse from Sleeping Beauty. Oh, That's what they reminded me of. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I quite like the horses. Um and all the animals were, were very simple, uh, like, you know, the squirrels and birds and stuff that, that come in to save them at the end. Um, but I think in an effective way, like the very, very simple in a, in a nicely done way. Apparently this short was re-released in the 90s with jingle bells behind it instead of Once Upon a Winter Time. Have you ever seen that? I have not, I don't think. Don't. Yeah, I don't recall ever seeing this before. The, the one other thing I was... I like this song better than Jingle Bells, so I can't imagine I would like the other version. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, um, I agree. The song, the song is good. Um, I even, I mean, I thought, oh, I, I could get, I could listen, like, I could put this on, like, a winter playlist and be fine with it, you know? Um, yeah. Agreed. The, uh, the other thing I was gonna say on the animation is that there's a strong use of, um, color, in symbolism with like symbolic color like the the boy turns all blue and when he's upset that the the girl has rejected him and uh the mouse or not the mouse the uh the rabbit turns like all red when he's angry uh that the female rabbit has left him and i mean they just do a few things with that that i thought was a nice touch the backgrounds also change according to their mood mm-hmm which really inaugurates a, a theme you see throughout these shorts, which is that nature nature is very intimately involved in human life in these shorts. And, and to the degree there's a theme, and it does not go throughout all of them, obviously. But I, I do see that coming up again and again. Either nature is super involved in human life or nature is super uh, uh, antagonistic to human life. Yeah, that's really that's really right. I did I did not notice that until you just said it, but... Yeah, thinking through, that's right. Um, this this friend of mine who I who I mentioned, um, who sent me some some of his notes was was mentioning how in the past we we talked about that, like the humans uh, that get along well with nation nature are tend to be the good, and the um, the 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 humans that are against nature or are trying to control nature in some way tend to be bad. Uh, but we see a little bit of in this in this short. There's there's not really good. I mean, there, there's not really goodness or badness to them. I guess they're just, you know, a young couple in love, but they get, they are very closely connected to to nature, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Although really through no fault of their own, right? It's not like they make an effort the way Johnny Appleseed does. This is just kind of the way it is in this idyllic uh, frozen world. Mm. I like that there was a nice touch at the end, which is the squirrels and the birds are riding on their sleigh as they go home, and, and it, it, eventually they decide they have to leave. The squirrels and the birds go back to the go back to the woods. Mm. I missed that. I have to watch it again.
next up is Bumble Boogie, <laughs> performed by Freddie Martin, uh, and Jack Fina is the pianist. This is a hot jazz uh, rendition of The Flight of the Bumblebee. That's right. I will say that this movie is tonally in that way all over the place, similar to yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> similar to some of the packages we've seen before. And as I said, like I, I really enjoyed, um, but there's, uh, yeah, it's the sequencing <laughs> is bizarre to me. I don't know how I would have sequenced it differently, but there's, it definitely, it, it shakes you like, like from one to the other. So, um, keeps you interested though. That's true. That is true. So, but yeah, I, I, once upon a winter time is the second slowest song and, uh, Bumble Boogie is by far the fastest. So it is, that is, that is pretty funny. Yeah. I really enjoyed Bumble Boogie. I, I thought, yeah, I don't know how anybody couldn't. It's, it's so, uh, it's, it's so fun. Yeah. So it's basically, a, it, there's, there's not really a plot, but as much as there is a plot, there's a bumblebee who is, uh, trapped in an instrumental nightmare, I think is the way that the, the, they introduce it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so it's very, very, um, it's in the style of thing, things that we've seen, like the, um, oh, what, what was the one in Make Mine Music with the... After You've Gone is the is the one it reminded me the most of. Okay. Um, yeah, just very abstract. Um, the, you know, the flowers are horns at, at one point, and then they have eyes at another point, and uh, the, the keys of the keyboard turn into a, I, I don't know, what would you, like a snake, I guess? Type yeah, or a dragon. Or I don't dragon. Know. They, they become very hostile. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, just that that kind of of style of um, where it's it's really animation, just you know, being animation where where things can change very quickly, and um, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. The syncopation is really great. I think the uh, the the horn flowers explode right on the beat and and I mean nothing nothing stays too long so it it constantly keeps your interest plus it's a pretty short piece it can't be three minutes long mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah I, I I really enjoyed it I I was not a, I'm familiar with Flight of the Bumblebee I haven't heard it in the in the jazzy style or the boogie style maybe um yeah it was really good. Uh, I I will point out this was a consideration for Fantasia. I mean, obviously not this jazz version, but Flight of the Bumblebee was one of the pieces they considered using in Fantasia. I don't know if this was the same plot, if you want to call it that, that they were going to use, but this is like uh, Blue Bayou, at least kind of a leftover. Yeah. But it didn't feel like a leftover. I mean, I feel like... Oh. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it worked. It worked well. It would work well in a, you know, it would have worked well in um, like Fantasia 2000, for example. I feel like, um, or with the with the Rimsky Korsakov, right? Not not with the the Freddie Martin version, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I did like the Freddie Martin version. You know, I think, yeah. If there was a, um, yeah, I, I it worked. It worked well for me. If you know, it just depends what Disney Disney wanted to do. You know, like um, as we said, there wasn't really a theme to this, or, the, or nor was there really much of a theme to make my music. But if they wanted to do one where they were like, "Here's a bunch of jazz songs," you know, um, set to music, and uh, they, it would work. 
Yeah, right, they could have combined this with After You've Gone and all the cats join in and a couple other ones. Yeah. Little Toot was just a tug, just a happy harbor tug, and he came from a line of tugboats fine and brave. But it seems that Little Toot simply didn't give a hoot. Though he tried to be good, he never could behave. Chug, 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 keep all my lad. I'm a big toot just like my dad. Full big boats with the yo-heave-ho, and away we go. Johnny Appleseed is next. We'll skip that one and move on to the Andrews sisters with Little Toot. I got so tired of hearing them sing Toot. <laughs> the Andrews sisters also appeared in Make My Music. With I think the short we agreed was the worst there. Uh, uh, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> That's bleak. Yeah, Little Toot is better than that, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure it is, and the song the song is much better too. Um, I think I think we've seen the Andrew sisters singing something else too, um, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, but anyway, this is my favorite my favorite so far of the Andrew sisters in the Disney movie. I think. And this will be their last appearance, I believe. Maybe they're in a short or something. Yeah. Were they only in the, those two? I feel like there was one. I, th- I, th- I think that's right, because they weren't in anything in Fun and Fancy Free, and I, I certainly wouldn't think they would be in anything in the South American movies. Mm. Yeah. No. We've had enough of them, <laughs> to be honest. Do you want to give the plot a little toot? Uh, so there's a, there's a little boat. Um, he's a tugboat, and he is um, always getting in, himself into trouble. And then he decides to change and do good, um, but in the midst of doing good, actually causes the worst trouble yet. Um, and uh, not he, yeah, he, he crashes an ocean liner into a into the harbor or into the city, I guess. Um, like wrecks five or six high-rise buildings. Yeah. How many How many people died? <laughs> do you think? <laughs> It's it's a very it's a very tragic mistake that's that's for sure. So then he's exiled uh, 12 miles offshore, I believe, and it's international waters, I think. Okay, so yeah, he's exiled into the international waters, uh, and while there, um, he's feeling deep shame, and then uh, a storm hits, and an opportunity arises for him to save a save a liner that has been um, stuck at sea in the storm. And he does it. Uh, he realizes, as the song says, it's do or die. And he does it. And then all is well. And they all live happily ever after. He makes his father proud. And and he's proud. And he's finally grown up. The highlight of this short, and I think probably the best animated sequence in the whole movie, is the storm. It's, it's, it's really, really well done. You have waves turning into claws. You have... Uh, the the rain in particular looks good. They must have used the multi-plane camera, but it looks like there's several different planes of rain all, all moving together. Uh, the animation during that storm sequence is is really fantastic. Maybe the best animation we've seen since Disney lost all its money. <laughs> do, do you disagree with that? Um, I don't know if I disagree. I think it is it is really good. I th- I also liked the um the, there's another rain scene in, in trees that I also really liked. It was very Yeah, tree, trees is really wonderful. Yeah, too. and it was very very similar to Bambi. 
um, the, the, mm-hmm. the storm and trees. Um, not as good as Bambi's, but very similar. Um, so yeah, I would, I would put those two high up there. Uh, but yeah, the storm. The other, the, the other nice touch I thought is when Little Toot is being taken out to international waters, night is falling. And in the background, you can see the lights come on in New York City one by one. Yeah. I, I thought that was a nice touch. They didn't have to do that. And, and so many of the last few, few movies we've, we've watched have lacked little touches like that, that it, it was very heartening to see. Yes, I, I completely agree with you on that one. That was, I, I, I also noticed that and wrote it down, that the, the lights coming on is really, really great. Um, as far as the storm goes, I, you know, I, I agree that it was one of the, one of the highlights of the animation of the movie, but sound design wise, I really did not like the sound of the lightning. It's like a, I don't know. Like a wee sound or something. <laughs> <laughs> like a slide whistle? Yeah, I don't know if it was a slide whistle, but, uh, yeah, so. But, I didn't notice that. I'll have to, I'll have to watch for that next time I watch this movie. Yeah, you were caught in the, in the end. Ten years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Someday when you're like, oh, you know what I should put on is Little Toot, so. Little Toot. I got so sick of hearing them say Little Toot. It's such a stupid word. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I really liked in the song though was just the uh the way they changed tempo so frequently. Um mm-hmm. I just I thought it was really really nicely done. Like really really worked well. The song because it's so upbeat most of the time is not nearly as insipid as Alice Fe- uh, Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet, which is such a slow-paced song that oh, you just want to kill them. Uh the hats not the not the Andrews sisters necessarily, <laughs> who I don't know if I've mentioned are from uh, 10 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. They're from Mound, Minnesota. Very nice. Yeah. So I have to be proud of them. Of course. I think there's I think there's a trail called the Andrews sisters trail. In fact, I don't know if it goes under an apple tree or what, but. So I thought the message of the song was kind of strange because they keep asking him, when are you going to grow up, little toot? When are you going to grow up? But the reason he caused that ocean liner to crash is that he is attempting to act like an adult. Yeah. Uh, yeah, talk talk a little more about the message on this one. And if you've seen the – I mean, I have not. I, I didn't look at the source material on this one, but I think there is a book. I, I didn't know that, or, nor have I seen it. But they're, they're constantly telling him to grow up, right? And, and it's because he's making a nuisance of himself. Apparently, there's nowhere for him to go except to follow his father, Big Toot, around. <laughs> Big, Big Toot, maybe even uh, more more ridiculous than Little Toot. But so he has to follow Big Toot around the harbor, and so he does things like uh, attach paper boats behind him and pull seagulls and things like that. Yeah, which I really they, liked. I thought that was really charming. I thought that was cute. But yeah, they they he, so he he gets into trouble doing that, and I guess the Andrews sisters are supposed to be vocalizing what Big Toot is telling him uh, to grow up. But what what happens is he he tries to help his father. So what he does is he gets behind the ocean liner that his father's pulling and pushes it. Unbeknownst to him, the rudder is back there, and it makes the ocean liner spin off in a circle until it crashes into Manhattan and kills hundreds of thousands well not hundreds of thousands hundreds of people hopefully not yeah they're all maybe they all got out yeah they're all at uh at work or at home whichever one 
<laughs> whichever one of those buildings weren't. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, it's not great to see. Uh, it's not great to see a bunch of buildings fall in Lower Manhattan, but the Andrews sisters had no way of knowing that. Yeah, absolutely not. This is, yeah, years and years before that. Um. Yeah. So it's really it's uh. So yeah, the message is be a better father. <laughs> I mean, it's not really about little dude at all in, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. I did think it was interesting that they would arrest and exile a child. Yeah, and then his father is shamed and has to haul garbage. You've disgraced your father's name. Yeah. That's, that's what it says. That's some heavy stuff, man. He's hauling garbage barges now instead of the ocean liners, I think. I, I, so... I was confused about which ships have consciousness and which don't, <laughs> because it would seem the ocean liners don't. It seems like the ocean liners just carry people or whatever. Yeah. But but at the end, a bunch of larger ships are also cheering and welcoming Little Toot back into the harbor. Yeah. I was yeah I was also confused about that. So. And so were my kids. They said, <laughs> "Who's driving that ship?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um. Uh, how do you feel about animated vehicles do you do you find them creepy i know a lot of people think think like the cars like Susie the little blue coupe and then later the cars from cars think those things are creepy yeah i don't find them creepy i do find them you can't you can't think about it too hard is the main thing right it doesn't work as well as like um yeah it's it's weird. There's a different sort of interaction with a vehicle and a person than other things that we see that, you know, are not normally conscious, but that have consciousness and are, you know, in these movies. So like animals, for example, or, you know, the toys and toy story, like even though the toys and toy story do interact with people, um, it's, you know, it's very different than, than a boat or a car or a plane or, or whatever. So, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say creepy. I would just say, uh, yeah, just don't think about it too hard. <laughs> well, it makes you wonder if, when you're driving a car, has the car eaten you in some way? <laughs> if you stay in there too long, will it start to digest you? <laughs> no, cars eat gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> did did cars? Did the cars in cars like evolve that way, <laughs> or what, where are the people? Yeah, you can't you can't think too much. I think the reason they're a little more uncanny than animals is the animals have faces, whereas you have to draw faces on the cars. Mm-hmm. I think it works better with Little Toot because there's a natural place just to put a face. You don't have to make one out of what a tugboat normally looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like to have the cars, you have to make their headlights their eyes or whatever i guess you could put the eyes in the uh that, that's what they do in uh, cars it's on the windshield yeah it's on the windshield yeah it's it's Susie the little blue coop i think where her eyes are the uh the headlights and that that is creepy because it's not what a face looks like yeah i don't know i wasn't creeped out by this one no i was i was more <laughs> creeped out by the uh the um sentient uh what the the towers that float out in the water, the you know the the buoys or what are they called? Buoys. Yeah, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and they're saying shame. <laughs> <laughs> that really is some heavy stuff, man. 
It reminded me of your favorite hashtag on Twitter, life is guilt or something. Right? Yeah, well, a little toot has learned that, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he makes amends for his faults. I'm not sure. Bringing in that one ocean liner makes up for the many people he killed through his reckless behavior, but. How about the. Apparently uh, it does in this universe. Yeah. How about apparently the, boats are, are ready to forgive. Well, that's good. That's really good. Um, I was going to say, how about the. Uh, even the fact that the lighthouse light beam <laughs> scoots over him. <laughs> it's a shame-based culture, I guess. I guess. I Yeah. So, yeah, the, all of that made me pretty uncomfortable. Um, it, it's just, yeah, not the, not our modern way of, of thinking about these sorts of things, I guess, but maybe, maybe it was very, very, very modern for 1948. I'm sure we were more shame-based, but I'm not sure American culture has ever been shame-based. That's something I associate with Asian cultures. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, there's nothing that says this has to be New York City. It would appear to be it would appear to be the island of Manhattan when he goes out to international waters. Maybe this is a uh, maybe this is an Asian country. Mm, I think when he comes in though at the end in the celebration, you see the Statue of Liberty. Oh, well that would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I guess it could be France. And they just haven't put it in yet. <laughs> yeah. Tugboats are interesting, right? Tugboats are a common thing that children are into. Yeah, and the bathtub and stuff, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, if you grow up landlocked, as I know both of us did, tugboats are tugboats are the things of children's books. Like, I, I still don't think I've ever seen a tugboat. Mm. Um, so they, they, they seem kind of cute and magical. And they are cute, right? They're these little bitty boats that pull the big boats. Yeah. And the garbage barge, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I rode on a, I, I took a cruise and I, as I watched this, I tried to remember if the, uh, if the, a tugboat took us into the harbor and I can't, I can't, I don't remember ever seeing one, but I was on the side of the boat, so I don't know why I would have seen one. Yeah. I don't know if they still use them. I don't know. Yeah. Their, their purpose is, because it's just so hard to navigate a huge boat like that in the narrow spaces, right? So I would imagine that yeah, that at some point that's just physics, and so you have to yeah, you'd have to still have the little guys to to pull you around. But I'd- I'm just very interested in the way children's books take these everyday things, and they are everyday if you live in a city with a harbor. They they take these every everyday things and then make them magical, such that you can no longer think of them as everyday things when you're a kid at least i'm sure if you worked on a tugboat you would not the the magic would wear off but i've always been interested in tugboats for that very reason i only knew them i only knew them from the stories yeah that's really uh so yeah tugboats trains um maybe like uh uh i'm thinking of what is it the steam shovel or yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the steam shovel. Really, anything because I grew up in the suburbs as you did. You you lived closer to the main part of the city than I did, I think. But like anything related to a city, you would see like books about kids growing up in cities, and the city seemed like a magical place. I remember reading tales from tales from fourth grade, nothing oh. by Judy Bloom, yeah. and like how cool New York City seems in that book. Mm-hmm. But cool, not not cool in the sense that. Cool the way a kid would think it was cool, not cool the way I'm afraid New York is too cool for me now. Right. Or, or um, 
yeah, along the same lines, uh, the mixed up files of Basilie Frankweiler. Is that right? Right. Where she, she goes to the museum. Yeah. She stays in the museum yeah, overnight. Live in the museum. So yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I never read that book, but still when I first saw the, uh, the the museum of natural history in new york city there, there is that 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 uh, that adheres to it in some ways it's still enchanted uh by by things like that so in that sense i i enjoy little toot because it it makes the it makes the city magical again yeah i love that i had not thought about it in that way at all but i like it yeah you're you're really right and that that magic is you know, I think, you know, one of the themes of our podcast playing off of, you know, that idea of what shapes our imaginations and, and those sorts of things like that idea of, um, even if a, even if a tugboat or, or a train is not actually, uh, sentient, um, that there's this idea of, um, I don't know, a, a need to care for it maybe in a, in a different way, like not just to treat it as a machine that, that is heartening as well. Like, I mean, there's the magical aspect of it, but there's also the, uh, I don't know. It's similar to like, once you read, um, Lord of the Rings and you meet the Ents, you know, you, you don't, you don't look at trees the same way anymore after that. Right. Right. Or, or even watching Johnny Appleseed, I was a lot nicer to my cats last night than I normally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to pet a skunk, but yeah, I, um, I, I had an article in Touchstone last year called uh, Altering All Things, if anybody wants to go find it. But uh, I, I made the point that I was walking outside in Minnesota in the winter, and it was very windy, um, and that's not a great combination. But then the word blustery came into my head when I was walking, like like Winnie the Pooh in the very blustery day. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it felt less like Minnesota was trying to kill me and more like I was living in a in a kind of charming rural children's book. And it, like it really worked. I, I enjoyed it after that. So I, I, I do think there's something to these things teaching you to look at a, at the world in a way that is not strictly true. Right. Cause we know that tugboats are just boats. And yet, and yet once you've seen little toot and little toot's really a bad example because little toot changes nobody's life, but let's say it does. Once, once you see little toot, the the boat can no longer be just a boat even if it is just a boat Mm -hmm. yeah and i i like how you how you said that that you know suddenly you're living in a different you're living in a different world right you're the entire right it's a you're living in a a minnesota that wants to kill you and then all of a sudden you're living in like a and you're living in the hundred acre woods, <laughs> you know. Like. Right, right. And and by the way, I'm not even a big Winnie the Pooh fan, so it's not like those books are important to me. But that word was enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't remember if I've talked about this on this podcast, and we are going so far afield from Little Toot, but whatever. Uh, this this might be more appropriate to talk about next time when we watch Mr. Toad. But, um, so I think a lot of British literature specialists in this country are that way because they read British children's books. So my wife is a Britishist or was a Britishist. Her PhD is in British literature. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is because she read Wind in the Willows or Winnie the Pooh or whatever, these very, very English children's books. Uh, and, and so you, she has this image of England from childhood that it is a, a wonderful enchanted place. 
all that's very interesting. I, I met a British Americanist, so, so a British woman who's, who studies American literature, and I asked her how she came to do it, and she said, oh, well, when I was a little girl, I read uh, Laurie Ingalls Wilder, and America just seemed like such an enchanted place. So I don't know what to make of that, except that, you know, I never read Laura Ingalls Wilder, and I imagine it wouldn't have made it seem that enchanted to me. There's something both about the distance. Maybe a kid who lives in New York and sees tugboats every day wouldn't have tugboats become magical the way they did for us. Or like the scene in Tales from a Fourth Grade. You read that, Tales from a Fourth Grade Nothing? Yes, yeah. So there's the scene where his mother's out of town and his father is taking them to the movies and they get caught in the rain. Like that, that somehow gets at the heart of what living in the city as a child is to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm sure if if a kid who lived in New York read that, they'd think, oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've had that experience and it's terrible. So I I don't know. It, there has to be a necessary distance too for it to be enchanted, and then maybe it can wrap back around some way. I don't know. Someone should write a book about this. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to read it. So, so let me know, whoever you are, when you write it. But, yeah. Can you, can you believe we've talked about Little Tooth this long? You know, it's what we do. So, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think that I shall never see A poem lovely as a tree Next up, we have Fred Waring and his Pennsylvanians. I love it when the band has his uh, instead of the uh, with trees. A, a poem by Joyce Kilmer that is familiar to everyone. I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree, uh, which is a banal line, but the rest of the poem's not so bad. And they, I think they use the whole thing in this. It's kind of a semi-abstract uh, collection of trees and the rain and the autumn. And what do you think of this one? I, I really liked it. I thought it was it was very um as I mentioned a, uh, a few minutes ago there's there's a there's a moment in it where the tree is becoming the protector of different you know woodland creatures as you know a storm hits and that's very similar to Bambi actually as we were watching it um uh my daughter says when can we watch Bambi again <laughs> <laughs> right at that moment so um yeah clearly resonated with her in the same way um but yeah, I thought it was really lovely, and I thought, you know, uh, yeah, how how nice to have this this thought of a you know the tree uh, looks at God all day, raises her leafy arms to pray, um, you know, in a Disney movie like that's it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, only only God poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Yeah. So it's this idea that nature is somehow fundamentally untouchable by the human mind yeah and And the animation's lovely i mean the 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 kind of signature shot here is there's a pan up on a tree against a orange background kind of a surrealist orange background and then the camera pulls out and it turns out you're looking at a leaf so it's this are you familiar with the the notion of a macrocosm and a microcosm 
go ahead and and yeah, just expand on it. Pretend I'm not. The, it's a it's a science a kind of semi scientific, semi poetic theory that was popular in the 17th century and probably other times that I'm not aware of, that says essentially the entire plan of the universe is is repeated on every cell of the universe. So. Um, your soul, for example, has the same structure as the soul of the universe. I'm not sure that's a uh, investigatable or falsifiable thing, but it's certainly a lovely image, and I think you've got something like that here. The design continues to go further and further down. Yeah, it was very beautiful. Um, and I really, yeah, I just, yeah, the colors were really nice in this one, and uh, uh, it goes through all the seasons, and so you get to see different trees and different stages and um yeah that's maybe another theme in a weird way in this movie is trees uh there's lots of trees <laughs> in the backgrounds of these different things. um and they're they're all drawn very very nicely so but here too right this this short makes you think about trees in a way that trees are normally invisible to us mm-hmm. Um, but the the poem, especially, and then the short based on it, makes you more aware of the things around you, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, a very good thing. What did you think about the kind of the final shot? I think it's the final shot in this one, where you know it's the tree up on top of the hill, um, and like a sunset behind it. But as you pan out, it's uh, it, lo- it looks more and more like a cross. I did not notice that. You think you think some Christian animator snuck that in there? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I just. Uh, I mean. It, well, I mean, there are the religious references in the in the poem, so it, I mean, it, it would be not inappropriate. There's actually more religious stuff in this movie than I remembered. Yeah, there's quite a bit. Um, yeah, which I, I guess we'll probably talk about uh, a little more when we get to Johnny Appleseed because that's where the bulk of it is. I will point out Trees has the first of two sets of quail in this in this movie. Disney loves uh, Disney loves quail families running. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's almost exactly the same. Well, it's not because the the second one there's a little more to it. Very well, and also also it's it's right out of Bambi too. There's there's several scenes with quail like that in Bambi. I think quail are probably just cute. Yeah. Were your kids bored by this one? By trees? Uh huh. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, the <laughs> my eldest was really not interested in watching it at all. She wanted to read. Uh, we're reading Pippi Longstocking right now, and she's like, "Can we just go read Pippi Longstocking?" And I was like, "I really need to watch this right now. I'm not talking about Pippi Longstocking later." Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. But the the younger ones are still at an age where anything moving on a screen is just mostly entrancing, you know. So, yeah, hard to say. I think I would have been uh, bored out of my mind with this when I was a kid. Yeah. But I liked it very much now. And then there's, you know, all the package films have pieces like this that are kind of semi-abstract. And I think this is probably the best of those, unless you count. Uh, Unless you count Brazil from Sal- Saludos, Saludos, not Saludos. A listener has corrected my terrible Spanish <laughs> pronunciation. Unless you count Brazil from Saludos Amigos, yeah, as as semi-abstract. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Oh, I mean, this speaking one, of yeah, go ahead. this one has a lot of realism in it as well, though. I mean, I, I go, uh, we mentioned the animals and the the quails and stuff, so I could, yeah. 
I guess the one it reminds me the most of is Without You from Make Mine Music. The I can't even remember the guy's name. Andy something. Where you're looking out the frosted window and the natural world is weeping because your girlfriend left you. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It is. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is much better than that, though. I, I Although I remember at the time that you would, you liked that one better than I did. So. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was maybe maybe I've just developed a taste for these kind of semi abstract uh, tone poems. Yeah. Spirits have hit a new low And they long to hit a new high One little musical cocktail Will lift them to the sky Mix a jigger of rhythm With a strain of a few guitars And a dash of the samba Next up, we have what I think is the worst short, uh, and maybe you liked it more than I do. Uh, Ethel Waters and the Denning Sisters with "Blame It on the Samba." So this is this is clearly a leftover idea from the South American movies. Uh, you have Donald and Jose Carioca. They're sad, and the Aruchan bird shows up and. Gets them drunk on samba juice. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the plot is, but he mixes some cocktails and they get happier. And then they land at a cocktail glass, and uh, Ethel Waters is playing a Hammond B3 organ, and they all dance. So you have more of that live action mix in too, that's typical of Saludos Amigas and Three Caballeros. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't hate it. <laughs> I just thought it was so boring. Yeah, and 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 it it wasn't that Latin. I, I felt that the the music wasn't as interesting because the music felt much more American than the music in the other two pictures. Mm. Yeah, so it's it has its moments. I think it is a little too long, um, and the the whole live action mixed with animation is still it's just still not there, right? Like. It's, they're still working towards it. It's definitely it's better here, I think. Them dancing on the piano um, or organ or whatever it is that she's playing is much better than um, uh, in three three caballeros. Um, I mean, I, but yeah, there's not a lot to say for it. I did so. <laughs> um, I did think it was better though. I mean, I, I didn't find it boring necessarily, but. Was, I enjoyed watching Ethel Waters play the organ, uh, just as a mediocre keyboardist, mm-hmm. watching watching her fingers fly over that organ, and especially watching what she was doing with the pedals underneath. I I, I thought that was the most fun thing about the short for me. Mm. Yeah, so you like the live action mixed in a little better than I did. I I would have rather seen more of, you know, yeah, as, as you said, like the the watercolors of Brazil style animation you know, I think would have been much better. Um, I agree with that, but, but not enjoying the specific things they're doing with the animation here. The only thing I really enjoyed was watching her play the organ. Mm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 
Um, my, my friend commented, which I thought was great. Uh, he said, I'm impressed with the 1948 Americans ability to watch a lady play the organ for 10 minutes in a martini glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's very specific. Do you want to say your friend's name or, or has he asked to not be oh, identified? Yeah, you know, I wasn't trying to be uh, coy about it. Yeah. His name's Jason. Uh, and he's, he's great. We may get him on the show eventually. I asked him if he would like to actually come on, um, he he worked here uh, at the school I work at for a while, and he taught um, many things. But one of the things that he taught that's most related to what we're doing was a, a class called uh, Truth in the Arts, where they would analyze um, movies and music and things like that for for biblical themes. And so, yeah, I think he would be great addition uh, if he if he decides that he wants to get his voice on the show at some point. But he said he said in this in these notes that that he enjoys just being kind of the the voice in my ear for now. So. You're Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, he's my Jiminy Cricket. That's right. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to say about this short. I I feel like the um, uh, I really liked the uh, striped sidewalks, the the Brazilian striped sidewalks. It reminded me of uh, 1940s Rio that we talked about before, mm-hmm. which I still and that's that's true, right? The the streets in Rio are actually striped like that. Yeah, and yeah, so I still pine for that to uh, you know to be able to travel to 1940s Brazil. Um, <laughs> and then I don't know, I I saw a parallel with this one in the Bumblebee where they're they're kind of trapped by the music in a way. And here it seems more positive, you know, like they're they're really down and then they're lifted up by the music. But then, you know, they're surrounded by the instruments at one point and it's a little, you know, um, maybe a little more sinister, like the the instruments are closing in on them. And so it reminded me a little bit of the bumblebee trying to escape from the, you know, the horns and the, the keys and stuff. But Good catch. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I um. I think by far this is the worst short, though. I this is the only one I just did not enjoy at all. Yeah, maybe I liked the song better than you did. I don't know. I think I would take this song over the the Once Upon a Winter Time. I wanted this song to be more of a samba than it is. I, I felt like it was a pretty traditional uh, American pop number mm-hmm. with a little bit of Brazilian instrumentation. Yeah. I guess I guess maybe the problem is I was I was wanting it to be more like the Brazil song from Saludos Amigos. Right. So if you call it Blame It on the Samba, it should it should sound more like a samba. Uh, yeah, that's that's my position. Yeah, it's kind of like that old DC Talk rap uh, song. I love rap music. That's not. <laughs> it's got like no rap. Though to be it. fair, it's more rap than the uh, Swirling Eddies version. <laughs> that's right, but I, I ain't down with that. <laughs> Um, well let's talk about uh, Johnny Appleseed unless you've got more to say about Blame It on the Samba no I think we should get to Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Grill because these are definitely the highlights of the of the thing so um, yeah as as much as I enjoyed the other five if if these two were not in it I think it'd be very it'd be a very different movie for sure or have a very different feel Um, yeah so Johnny Appleseed is a a true person I guess right uh-huh. Yep, he was a, a, stor- a historic figure. Apparently, my wife used to claim she was a direct descendant of him. That's not possible. He did not have children, so I think she is an indirect descendant of him, about which she is very proud. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
do you know he didn't have any descendants or are you basing that just on this movie because you're right he did not in this movie <laughs> he never he never married he he never married for religious reasons i i guess the possibility exists he fathered a child out of wedlock but for everything i've read about johnny Appleseed, i think that's unlikely i didn't mean to suggest that i just meant i don't know anything about how dare you i don't i don't <laughs> yeah i don't know anything about the actual johnny Appleseed. um this this movie was my introduction to him. So, I'm... I was obsessed with this short when I was a kid. I, uh, I I remember I remembered almost every beat of it, uh, and and uh, I I I deeply love this this short. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, if you're gonna watch, I was gonna say if you're gonna watch one thing, you should watch this. But Pecosville is also really good. So, yeah. but you you said you'd never seen this when you were a kid. I didn't, and I would I would still pick this over um, Pecosville. Although I agree with you that Pecosville is is a you know it's a contender for the number one spot. And maybe as you have done before, you will convince me it's the best by, before we're done with this podcast. But um, as it stands at the moment, I think Johnny Appleseed is, is the better is the better short. Um, Johnny Appleseed is so sweet and decent and gentle, like like both the character and the and the short it's 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 really really wonderful yeah so johnny is living in pennsylvania and uh right outside of pittsburgh i think oh yeah just outside of pittsburgh which um yeah and then uh, he just watches the wagon trail go by and or he's he's wanting to go and be a pioneer uh he's feeling he can't doesn't have what it takes an angel appears and convinces him that he does actually have what it takes uh which uh after the summary, we can talk more about that. But I, re- I really liked that that the the angel doesn't actually give him anything. He just you know tells him what he already has. And then uh, so then Johnny sets out and he becomes a a pioneer and he uh, plants apple trees everywhere he goes and um, spreads uh, love and joy um, to all the other pioneers and yeah it's as you said it's very sweet and then uh much of this is true i mean obviously we don't know if an angel came to see johnny appleseed i'm not sure he ever claimed that but he he really did plant acres and acres of apple trees not not quite in the way it suggests here he planted nurseries Mm -hmm. of apple trees rather than just clearing land and putting them in the middle of the wilderness but i mean that that's something he actually did and he was also it has the holy book here he was a missionary although depending on your theology you may or may not consider him a christian missionary he belonged to the swedenborgian church which is non-trinitarian um and so in addition to planting apple trees he passed out swedenborgian tracts uh but yeah and and apparently he also really did make friends with the animals uh one one story i read said that he was once he once lit a campfire and he saw that mosquitoes were dying in it and he put out the fire wow so i mean <laughs> so the movie had a play like, on uh, yeah I, I think largely and i think even the song he sings the lord is good to me i think that's a real song johnny appleseed sang i i really liked the song i thought the song was great did you sing that when you were a kid that that song has made it outside of this movie so I'll tell you what I'm I'm wondering because I went to J Sterling Morton Junior High and uh are you familiar with J Sterling Morton Julius No sh- shout out to J Sterling Morton Yeah well um 
Among his most notable achievements, according to Wikipedia, was the founding of Arbor Day in 1872. And so, oh, sure, yeah, Arbor Day Farm yeah. in Nebraska City, Nebraska. That's right. And, uh, you know, um, so Arbor Day is a is a holiday, I guess, uh, where you go out and plant trees. So I'm wondering if there was a, a bit of a rivalry between J. Sterling Morton and uh, Johnny Appleseed. And this is this is like, I wonder if the Appleseed legend was suppressed where I grew up. And that's why I'm not. <laughs> well, they're planting trees for different reasons, right? The Nebraskans have to plant trees as windbreaks <laughs> because uh, it's constantly 80 mile an hour winds in Nebraska. That's right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's a that's an aside. Um, I re- yeah. So <laughs> Johnny Appleseed, I did not, I don't, I wasn't familiar with the song. I wasn't familiar with anything, but I, I, I loved it. I want, I want to learn the song now because I, I really liked it. I really liked how, um, yeah. I just, you know, what, what, what's, go ahead. You, you have the, you have the better voice here. The better voice. <laughs> singing, sing a, sing a, sing a lyric. <laughs> The Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things you need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord's been good to me. I think a lot of people sing that at, like, vacation Bible school or Bible camp. Yeah. Or some people sing it when they're a kid around the, like, as a as a grace around the dinner table. Yeah. But I think he, I think he wrote that. I think the actual John Chapman uh, wrote that. It's it's a great sentiment, you know, like looking around and seeing what what God has given us, and yeah, being being thankful. It's a, it's a wonderful message. I really yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And actually, there's a number there's there's a few songs in this short. So there's that one, and then there's there's the one that he and the angel sing together. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do, which is very catchy. And um, mm-hmm. even the the other pioneers in the wagon train are singing kind of a uh, a bit of a round, I guess, as they... Get on the wagon rolling west, I think is the name of that song. Yeah, uh, that was super catchy, too. So, What'd you think of the Apple Party Square Dance? <laughs> you know, I liked it better than the... Um, than the... Than the sim- Martins and the Coys. Well, yes, that, but that was not what I was thinking. I was thinking of in Bongo, the... Uh, Oh yeah. Give her a slap. To say it with a slap. Yeah. Give her a slap. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was. Uh, although there's also a slap, slap slap your woman. Yeah. Well there's a slap in this one too, but uh it's you know, they take it the way that you would you would assume to take it. They're clearly not bears. But they haven't they haven't seen Bongo. So. <laughs> um worth noting Basically, every voice in this short was done by Dennis Day, mm-hmm. who is best known as the boy tenor on the Jack Benny show. But one thing casual fans of the Jack Benny show don't realize is that Dennis Day did a lot of voices for that show. He, he really had a talent for impersonations. Uh, the, the, the Johnny Appleseed voice is the voice he normally speaks in. I don't, I don't know if that's his real voice. You, with impressionists, you never know whether the, the voice they normally speak with is also an invention. But uh, he did the settler, the old settler who tells the story. He also did the angel. And th- that, I, I really am hung up on that because they he sings a duet in There's a Lot of Work to Do with, with Johnny and the angel. And they sing a harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think multi-track recording was invented until 1953. I think 
Les Paul invented it. I, I very famously, I tried to find out if they'd done multi-track recording for There's a Lot of Work to Do, or if they just brought in somebody else to sing the harmony part. Oh, I don't cool. have an answer for that, but I, I I was interested. Yeah, that's really interesting. Please let us know if you know. If you're if you're listening, you're like, oh, I know the answer to that question because. Yeah, that is really interesting. That's, that's one of those little technological things that you don't think about, right? You get so accustomed to uh, the technology that we have today, you don't think about, you know, you don't think about the fact that it didn't exist. Somebody had to invent it. Yeah, and maybe maybe Les Paul invented a very particular type of multi-tracking, and this uses a different type. I don't know. Yeah. But Dennis Day is great in this, and I, I say that as someone who almost always skips the song portion of the Jack Benny show because I don't like the way he sings, but um, he, I, I, I like the way he sings here. Yeah. Does he do the square dance song also? I don't know. Um, I, 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 I couldn't find a voice of someone who did that, so maybe he did. Yeah. I'm always so impressed by square dance leaders. They, they sing so fast. But that uh, the square dance here is perfect because it's so corny, and, and the, the short itself is... is unbelievably unbearably earnest and so like you wouldn't want something that had some degree of archness to it uh you you, the the whole short demands you take it utterly seriously and that doesn't mean there's no jokes but you have to be you have to be on john johnny appleseed's side the whole time or else uh or else the short doesn't work Mm -hmm. My favorite part has always been the part where the angel delineates all the different foods you can make from apples. Me too. That was really great. Although I've never had apple pickles, and so now I'm very curious about that. Victoria said they're mushy. Mm. Yeah, which is not- I've had pickled pears, which are those are good, but they're not mushy. So yeah. Also, the uh, <laughs> this is stu- super silly but uh you can fry them and mash them and put them in a stew or whatever it's like the same the same way that uh sam gamgee talks about rabbits and lord of the rings so I wonder or, if it's i'm sorry not with rabbits uh potatoes sorry i didn't mean that when he he catches the rabbits and then he's gonna cook them up and um uh Gollum asks him what he's what he's doing or smeagol maybe at that point asks him what he's doing do you like apples? I don't really like apples. <laughs> How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> I like them in uh, I like them in pie, I guess. And apple fritters are fine, but like I I almost never want to eat an apple. Yeah. There's a lot of fruit I like better than apples. Yeah, I. He should have planted orange trees. <laughs> <laughs> Had he been coming up from uh, Florida, maybe he would have. I think apples are more hardy. Yeah. Plant them in well, and they they grow they grow well when it's they need frost to grow. So. Yeah, I do I do like the variety of foods that you can get with an apple. You know, I like I like apple pies and apple crisp and applesauce and or apple apple sass as they call it in this. Um, oh, is that what apple sass is? It's apple sauce. Yeah. I was trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It's like a hillbilly inflection on apple sauce. Yeah, I I know because I turned the captions on the you know, ah yeah. I, I watch it first without it, but then I, I usually go back and watch it with the captions because I find that I, I catch things that I missed if I have the captions on, such as Apple Sass. Well, I think we should talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, the spiritual elements in this short uh, before we get too far astray. 
You have a Bible, which is never called a Bible. It's only called the Holy Book. And yet it's got a great big cross right there on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the short, spoiler alert, Johnny Appleseed dies and uh, his angel takes him to heaven telling him that they need to plant apple trees up there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's got... That guy loves apples. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of his religion in a way, is the apple. Um, Yeah, because he doesn't want to go to heaven until he finds out that he can plant apple trees there. He's... And then you have that that lovely shot at the end where the settler tells you that when you see low-hanging white clouds, they're not actually clouds, they're apple blossoms. And so you have this this connection between human beings and nature and heaven. It's it's really a lovely shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I should say, by the way, um, the art here is probably Mary Blair's best work. um, it's it's very distinctly her her style. All the back, but not just the backgrounds. The, uh, the much of the character design looks like Mary Blair to me. And I'll I'll go ahead and put this call out. My wife has a book on Mary Blair. There is a there's a page in the book that has four shots. It's I think it's from the pre-production for Johnny Appleseed, which is the apple orchard in spring, summer, winter, uh, autumn. Uh, she really wants to find prints of those. So if anybody knows how we can get them, whether it's making them or buying them, let me know because that'll make her happy. Yeah. So, but the the art on this is really wonderful. It really is, and um, yeah. So uh, Blair had also done the the work in Song of the South, um, and Wilford Jackson and uh, Ken Anderson had been working on those, and they had adapted them, but. Um, Disney wasn't actually satisfied with, with how they turned out. And so with, with these, he really made them duplicate her style. Exactly. So, um, they really took, they took pains to keep it as Mary Blair as they could. So that may be what you're, what you're noticing there is that this is really, you know, not just her influence, but it's, it's her exact style is coming through. Where is our Mary Blair biopic? What a, what a fascinating story. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, so we've talked about Mary Blair a little bit in the past. Um, but as my wife was listening through the episode, she was, she was saying, you guys never really say, you say how much you like her work, but you never really say what it is about her work that, that you like. Do you, do you want to say something about the way that this, you know, the backgrounds, especially of, of this, uh, of this piece are that, um, I will do what I can. Like this is, I'm, I'm not terribly good at talking about visual art. Um, they're stylized, so she, she's not at all going for any kind of realism. Um, they're, they're, they have very bright colors, and they're, they're almost um, the equivalent of like mid-century modern furniture. They look very post-war in a, in a very appealing way to me. Uh, I, I think her people are sometimes a little creepy. Uh, probably her most notable achievement in terms of people is she designed all the dolls for uh, It's a Small World that that ride at the Disney parks. So, I mean, that, that ride is really her style melted down into, into something physical. Mm. I, I, I don't know. Can you, can you explain what's appealing about her work better than I can? Um, I, I'm not really going to try, but I will, I will read this quote. Um, I think this one's out of the golden age of, uh, of animation. Um, it talks about Disney's, enthusiasm for her work and he says um her sketches are so thoroughly softened and smoothed away 
uh, contemporary art's harsh edges, removing from it anything in the least provoking. And Disney's enthusiasm for her work was thus the mere image of the discomfort with abstraction that he so often voiced during work on Fantasia. Blair gave him a decorative abstraction that he could live with. So it's, yeah, I don't know if that, that clarifies. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, de- decorative abstraction sounds right. Mm-hmm. It's, I wouldn't even say semi-abstract. It's, it's realistic. You can tell what she's trying to draw. I shouldn't say trying because it makes it sound like it's an accident. You can tell what she's representing but she represents it in a way that is not straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think this is, I think this is probably her masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Apple pickles. Oh, so tasty apple tarts and apple pasty apple dumplings, not to mention apple sass. Yes. And there's apple fritters, light as thistle and for folks to wet their whistle, tangy apple cider and a Stew them, fry them, boil them, bake them. Apple pie and apple cake. Yep, you can cook them anyway. There's apple this and apple that. The recipes that fill your hat. Why, I could carry on like this all day. So pack your stuff and get a go and get there. The other thing I think is interesting about Johnny Appleseed, especially as compared to Pecos Bill, is its view of masculinity. Johnny Appleseed doesn't want to go out into the into the frontier because he he's not tough enough. He's a skinny little guy. He doesn't even own a knife or a gun. I mean, he clearly owns a knife because he peels an apple at one point. But it says he doesn't own a knife or a gun. Um, and yet the angel tells him to go anyway. And in some ways, he's the most successful pioneer of them all. He brings civilization into the wilderness. But he does so by his very gentleness, by his very lack of masculinity. The, the way he wins all the animals over is by petting the skunk. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I think I think that's really interesting. This is a very conventional take. It's very it's very conservative in some ways, but. I, I think its view of masculinity is very interesting. Not progressive, I would say, but interesting. Mm-hmm. Complicated. Yeah, it's there's a yeah they did they really distinguish that in in the narration and the song and of you know uh, the all the animals are there and some are afraid of him and some are, are ready to fight him and uh, and then a skunk comes along. And the animals kind of defer to the skunk. The skunk is going to be the one that that pushes Johnny away. And it's very, I I find this part of the short very lovely. Uh, The skunk, I'm not sure, is it, it it sounded like a bassoon to me maybe, is is the skunk. Um, I I didn't notice that, I didn't think about it. Okay, well, yeah, it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Peter and the Wolf in that aspect. But anyway, uh, he comes traipsing in and... Uh, and and then Johnny is not afraid of him, and he he pets him and and wins the skunk over. And once he wins the skunk over, he wins all the other animals over. And then uh, I I forget the exact line, but it's something like he was the first one or the only one to come without a knife or a gun. So yeah, it's it's that that aspect of him being different and not being um, domineering, I guess of nature but cultivating of nature or something uh is the is the form of masculinity that he carries he is in tune with nature even for a disney character do you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like as you said almost all the protagonists merge with nature but none quite so much as johnny appleseed 
What a wonderful short. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. vocal group the sons of the pioneers and i think this is the best short uh because of the way the sons of the pioneers tell the story it it bounces it bounces back and forth between five or six different narrators they all have funny voices uh they sing wonderful songs about pecos bill and uh, there's a lot of laughs here mm-hmm. what did you think of it well i was actually i wanted to ask you exactly about what you just said about the music because i know that you're a little more of a fan of the uh, what what is this country western style? Um, is that right? Am I characterizing? Yeah, like, ca- cowboy, but it's it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty popped up. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I did I did really enjoy that. I enjoyed um, yeah the the short itself is is good. Um, the yeah what what to say about it um you know pecos is a is a a boy left to wilderness to the to the wild um and so he's raised by coyotes um and there's there's definitely that wildness to him throughout uh throughout the short um he fires his gun he's the rootness tootness shootness and he definitely shows it um more more toots i'll point out that's right um yeah and it's a it's uh similar to the similar to the where do the clouds come from the low-hanging clouds you know it's got that that classic folk tale sort of you know this is this is why things the way they are so this is why um why coyotes howl at the moon and all of those things are told in a wonderful song by the sons of the pioneers uh, in in truly ridiculous, wonderful style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the style was great. Um, yeah, I I liked it quite a bit. The the singing and narration, especially, I liked quite a bit. Um, and I, I, as you said, they each they each have their own uh, tenor or tone of voice um, that they're singing with, and yeah, it's really it's nice. I think maybe my favorite part is at the so it has a live action beginning with uh, Le- Leona Patton. And it, it's the it's the little girl from Song of the South, yeah. and and the little boy from Song of the South. We, we also know her as the girl being celebrated by Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Sneed in uh, <laughs> in Fun and Fancy Free. That's right. But she she she's out there for some reason with Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. She really hangs out with a lot of famous people, <laughs> and uh, she hears a coyote howl, and they say. Uh, you know, Pecos Bill, something about Pecos Bill and the Coyotes, and she says, "Who's Pecos Bill?" And and the guy playing the guitar goes, <laughs> <laughs> like a record scratching. <laughs> yeah. You've never heard of Pecos Bill? Yeah. 
So, yeah, and then they they sing the song and they, yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, there's a little boy there too, and he says, "Oh no, there's a woman in it." And, <laughs> they say, yeah, but what a woman, or something like that, and they they all describe Sl- Slewfoot too. Yeah, who who uh, she can tame and ride a giant catfish. I, I would have enjoyed hearing the beginnings of that story. Yeah, me too. She seems, um, yeah, she seems mythical in her uh, in her powers in the same way that Vakos is. So they they really match each other well that way. But we don't get we don't really get much of her at all. He's the, she's the first human woman he sees. Yeah, there's a real Jungle Book quality there. I don't know how he speaks English. Well, he's raised by coyotes. It's true, and he yeah. Are there no women in the town? Because he does go riding through the town. Maybe that takes place after. You know, maybe we're seeing it out of order. Yeah, or maybe they're all. Or, or maybe, or maybe this is a tall tale, and we shouldn't examine it too much. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Now, this this short is the subject of some controversy because the the version you can get on DVD in this country has been heavily edited. In the in the original, Pecos Bill had a cigarette dangling from his mouth in basically every shot, and they digitally removed it. And at one point, they couldn't digitally remove it because he lassos a tornado and rides it and um, lights a cigarette using lightning. Uh, and so because they couldn't just pull the cigarette there, they cut the entire sequence. And there's actually a pretty bad edit in terms of the song there. I don't know. Did your version have the cigarette? It did not. I'm I'm disappointed now. I feel like I'm going to have to go hunt this down and find, try and find the original somewhere. Is it on YouTube or anything? Uh, the the whole short is not on YouTube, but there's a video on YouTube that will show you what they took out. Yeah. And it's too bad because it's really – it's it would have been one of the best verses of the song. Yeah. This goes back to my uh, my – ongoing complaint apparently about the way disney treats this this era of their i mean i feel like just for historic purposes they should make these things available somewhere you know would you have been would you have been uncomfortable with your children seeing pecos bill smoking a cigarette oh did we talk about this before about um oh maybe we talked about it with the gun violence or something you know uh yeah i don't know i just what I think I'm more concerned when I'm showing my kids stuff, I'm more concerned about, uh, overall message, you know, like, is it a, yeah. I mean, to go back to that idea of like, how's this shaping your imagination or, or whatever. And then just because of their ages, the, um, the scare factor, you know, um, how scary it is. So yeah, I don't, I don't know with cigarette smoking. I mean, <laughs> I live in China, which is maybe the, you know, sure. the highest population of smokers the, in the world. The smokingest country in the world. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like it, right? Everybody smokes here, and so um, yeah, it's not it's not like it's something they've never seen. I, I, I it's not something that that hits my radar in the same way, you know. So yeah, I don't. I don't well, what's know. funny is they cut that out and they leave in this. I don't want to say horribly offensive. I'm not Native American. I don't feel like it's my job to say it's offensive. But the, the, they they cut it. They leave in a part that where Pecos Bill starts shooting at a bunch of quote unquote redskins who jump out of their makeup and uh, run away, and that's how the painted desert got painted. 
Which, you know, that's of a piece with a lot of these silly, tall tale, explanatory stories. But it's weird that they'd be worried about the cigarette and not worried about that or the uh, the what makes the red man red sequence from Peter Pan, which I, I think is probably pretty close to indefensible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was I noticed that part, too. And I, I didn't. I didn't do my background research as extensively as I should have because I didn't I didn't realize that how edited um, Pecos Bill was, but uh, yeah, I, I was surprised that that was in there. <laughs> While we're talking about the Indians, though, it's worth noting there are also there are also Indians in Johnny Appleseed, uh, but there the Indians uh, have come together with the settlers and they're dancing at the square dance like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's another there's another parallel between the two of them. Uh, Johnny Appleseed brings the white man and the Indians together and Pecos Bill drives them apart. Yeah. And just the fact that Pecos Bill is, I mean, shooting everything all the time. <laughs> and, That's true. That's true. Well, he Johnny, is the rootinest, tootinest, yeah. shootinest. Johnny Appleseed doesn't even have a, have a gun. Right. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's stay on this parallel thing. So, the, so Pecos has some, some sort of extreme control of, of nature, you know, like when he's, uh, trying to woo uh, Slewfoot Sue, he he controls the moon <laughs> and the stars to light up to light up. Uh, I love you, Sue, in the stars. Uh, he also creates the Rio Grande just by dragging a a pole through the ground. Um, he creates the Gulf of Mexico by lassoing a storm from California. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then the the cyclone scene, which. Is actually what I know of Pecos Bill. I, I mean, I didn't like, I didn't know this short, but like the story of Pecos Bill is, you know, him riding the, riding the tornado or the cyclone. So another re- another reason it's absurd that they cut that scene out. Yeah, well, I was really surprised. Uh, it actually made me doubt myself. I was like, isn't Pecos Bill the one who rides the tornado? Because there's one point where he's shooting his guns and it it, it forms a cyclone for just a minute. And I was, no, no, you're you're looking at the remnants of the cyclone scene. So they they had to cut it with the song, right? But the the place they cut it includes that part. So what originally happened was he lassoed the the cyclone and rode it and lit his cigarette with lightning, and then uh, then chased it down until it was a, a baby cyclone. Okay. Yeah. So when I saw, but that, it's, it's completely like, incoherent in the edited version. Like you you can't tell what's happening at all. Yeah. Okay, that makes what what you've just said help helps me understand it because at that moment when I saw that I was like oh here comes him riding the cyclone and then he didn't and I was like well what was that? <laughs> well, he also shoots out all the stars but one so that Texas can be the Lone Star State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean these are all played for laughs. I'm not making a, a like a an actual criticism of the short, but it's I think it's worth noting that in contrast to Johnny Appleseed who's very much in tune with nature. He plays by nature's rules. Pecos Bill is is the sort of pioneer who dominates nature and controls nature. Mm-hmm. Right. He's much less of a good person than Johnny Appleseed, I think it's clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although maybe that's a nature versus nurture type thing, you know. He was raised by coyotes, so. Well, you'd think that would make him more in tune with things, right? The only piece of nature he seems to love is Widowmaker the horse. Yeah. Which is funny because the horse is actually a widower maker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
because uh, if you haven't seen the short, Widowmaker kills Slewfoot Sue. She uh, they're gonna get married, and she does, does she decide she has to ride Widowmaker, or is it like a demand Pecos Bill makes of her? No, it's it's her decision. Yeah, it's her choice. So Widowmaker hates her because there's like a weird semi-romantic relationship between Pecos Bill and the horse, and the and Widowmaker is jealous. So he bucks her, and she's wearing this giant bustle for her wedding, and the bustle makes her bounce up and down until she lands on the moon. And uh, Pecos Bill is trying to lasso her to save her, and the horse steps on the rope, so he can't do it. So, uh, yeah, that's a dark ending. And by the way, <laughs> Disney added that, like in the in the actual most of the actual legends, Pecos Bill does lasso her and bring her back to the ground. We talk about Disney kind of lightening the the fairy tales, but he, they darken this one. Huh. So why why do coyotes howl at the moon then if he rescues her, or is that not attached to it? I don't know that that's attached to it. Hmm. In the short, they howl at the moon because he goes and howls out of grief, as one does. Yeah. He leaves civilization forever. Yeah. He goes back to the coyotes. Right. But the 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 gender politics of that are interesting to me too because the only way Slewfoot Sue is is a conventional woman early on is that she's pretty. Mm-hmm. Um. What, what do they what do they say about her? There's some like semi-sexual remark the Sons of the Pioneers make about her. Oh, do they? I- anyway, I, um, I didn't write down all the lyrics for for the <laughs> for what they sang about her. So so she so she dies though because she accepts traditional femininity, right? She dies because she puts on this bustle. Oh, that's interesting. Which really fills out her chassis, I think is what they say. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> a pretty dirty joke if you think about it. But yeah, so um, I, I, I think that's interesting as well. You have Johnny Appleseed who really does not conform to social expectations as, as far as gender goes. And then you have Slewfoot Sue who dies because she does. I guess she dies. Maybe she lives forever on the moon. Yeah, that's a common tale, right? The, you know the lady up on the moon or whatever. I mean, there's the man on the moon too, but I think there's a, or maybe it's just a Chinese tale. I think there's a Chinese tale of a, I won't say anymore because I'm not sure if that's right, but I think that's right. If there is, you should really write the, write the story that it's Slewfoot Sue. Yeah, there you go. Tie it all together. Um, Yeah, so then they both end up, they both uh, live single lives too. So there's there's another parallel there. Yeah, except Johnny Appleseed chooses it for religious reasons, and Pecos Bill has it thrust upon him more or less. Yeah, by his horse, and he never knows. In the in the in the original legend, apparently the horse apologizes. <laughs> so I, I, it's one of the darker endings for a Disney movie. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of um, Casey at the Bat. You know, yeah. he comes out confident, and everybody knows that he's going to lasso her, and he's not even, you know, he's not even worried about it. Kind of the same way everybody everybody knows Casey's going to hit the home run. Then he doesn't. So. Yeah, that's a good point. But there, it's played for laughs, and here, I guess it's still kind of played for laughs. You don't really feel it as a tragedy because you don't care emotionally about Pecos Bill the way you would about Johnny Appleseed. To, to me, the star of this short is the narration. I've, I've never heard anything by the Sons of the Pioneers before, but uh, the the way they narrate this short is just hysterical to me. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else to say about Pecos, Bill? Um, yeah, I I agree with you that I really liked it. The narration is is really great, and um, yeah, going back, I guess a little bit to what you said earlier about the um, oh, what were you what were you talking about the the idea of being close to it uh, or being being removed from something gives you that idea of enchantment, and then when you're close to it maybe you don't get that same sense of enchantment. So I wonder like for, you know, for someone in Texas, you know, if this is like, you know, um, if it plays differently. Texas is such a self mythologizing place though. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And you can see that like, I mean, even in the, even in the skit when they, when they do the map, they do the map. Yeah. That's a wonderful bit. Yeah. And then all the, all the other States are just crushed to the side. And they, they, he even says, you know, in this, in this land of the United States, Texas is surrounded by wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, um, I couldn't see Nebraska on there. Oh, I, I imagine it wasn't there. I don't know. Allison was upset about what they did to Florida. Cause it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a second peninsula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, I thought that was a good joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I wonder then, you know, but there is that, then that sense of ownership that you get from saying, well, that that's our guy, you know? So maybe the, those who are removed from it, it's like, oh, there's a, there's an enchantment to that. And then those who are close are like, oh yeah, that's, you know, there's, I think Minnesotans are pretty proud of Paul Bunyan. Yeah, I would think so. I don't think Georgia has a, a tall tale hero. Does Nebraska? Jay Sterling Morton. Jay Sterling his name is. Morton. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and there's no. I don't. I don't think there's any tall tales about him. Uh, no, I grew up on the. You know, a lot of my family's from Minnesota, so I grew up more on the Paul Bunyan stuff. We talked about Paul. when we do our when we do our episode on shorts from the fifties. We'll have to watch Paul Bunyan. It's that's a that is a wonderful short. But tall tales are so made for these cartoon presentations. You know, I mean. This is just the ideal way to present them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that brings us full circle, I think, because it's the first thing we t- <laughs> it's the first thing we talked about. Yeah, yeah, and you really see that Pecos would- Bill, like I mean, him carving out, you know, the him carving out the Rio Grande, or him, you know, capturing a, a storm cloud from from California from California and then dragging it back. You know, it really it does it. It plays really well. All the animals are dying in the in the drought, and then all of a sudden they're floating on their backs in the in the Gulf of Mexico or whatever. So, yeah, it's really nice. Well, how would you rank the uh, shorts in Melody Time? Oh my goodness, I don't know. So, I mean, I think in tiers, you the top tier are definitely the two that we've been discussing here: the Johnny Appleseed and, and Pecos Bill um, are at the top, and then. Um, I don't know. Maybe Little Toot would come next. I guess. I guess I'm more partial to an actual story than um, just the the tone poems type things. As much as I enjoyed Trees and as much as I enjoyed um, the Bumble Boogie, it's hard to uh, it's hard to put them high uh, for me. I mean, I really liked them, but when it comes to ranking them, I think I you know I'd rather watch Little Toot probably, and then. Um, Blame it on the samba and, and Once Upon a Winter Time are down there at the bottom. Um, or were you asking about how's this rank among the all the ten that we've seen so far? No, I was asking I was asking about the the rankings of the individual shorts. I think I would say Pecos Bill 
Johnny Appleseed, Trees, Bumble Boogie, Little Toot, Once Upon a Winter Time, Blame It on the Samba. Mm. I, th- I think that's what I would do, which is not not terribly dissimilar from yours. I, I liked the abstract pieces more than you did. Yeah. Maybe next, uh, maybe at the end of next episode, as we we reach the end of the forties, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll rank all the ones so far. Yeah. I want to I want to think about that. Yeah, I think I think that's not that's not a hard. It's a hard ranking with maybe those first few, you know, but then with the uh, <laughs> once you get to the package ones, they're. I don't know. They're they're a little easier sorted in my mind. I think this is. I mean, uh, this is probably the the second among the package films because uh, I really liked uh, Fun and Fancy Free. I think I may like this more than Fun and Fancy Free. Mm. And we'll see what you think of uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yeah. Yeah, this one definitely has more variety than Fun and Fancy Free. So, I mean, if you're in, you're if you're in for the variety and the you know the the kind of crazy jumps from the very, uh, you know, the the shift from trees to blame it on the samba is whiplash inducing. <laughs> it's really from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, and I, I do want to point out again to our listeners. I think we've already talked about this, but the episode after next, we're going to take a break and look at shorts from the 30s and 40s. So if there's if there's one you want us to talk about, send it to us. I think almost all the old Disney shorts are on YouTube, so we'd love to hear your suggestions. I mean, we'll probably watch. What do you think? Seven or eight of them? Yeah, something like this. I mean, like I mean, this had seven, and that was about right. So yeah, seven or eight sounds good to me. Yeah. So if you want to let us know how to get those, uh, or I mean, if you want to let us know, then the way you would do that is you can contact us through. Uh, our email address, which is before they were live at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us, uh, Christian Humanist, uh, has a Facebook page, I believe, right? So a lot of you are, yep. unless you're all jumping ship off of Facebook, which I would recommend you do, um, <laughs> based on current, current revelations that have been coming out, but, um, yeah, or on Twitter, uh, we're on, we're on Twitter as well, so. You can find us there. I'm at I'm at the alt with an underscore in between the and alt, which when I picked that name, I didn't realize I was going to have a podcast. That's really like um, not not uh, easy name to say or not not easy to. It's, it's better visual than than spoken is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the underscore alt, you could say. Yeah, the underscore alt. Yeah, and then uh, Michael is was much wiser with his with his Twitter name. Uh, just at Michael Farmer. So, all right. Well, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as well, uh, um, or enjoyed listening to us talk about it. Um, and yeah, do you, do you, do you have anything else that you wanted to, to add there, Michael? Anything that we didn't hit upon that, that we should have? Just that I am really looking forward to Ichabod and Mr. Toad. I loved that movie when I was a kid. I watched it a few years ago and still loved it. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. All right. Yeah. And we will be doing that, uh, about a month from now, if you're listening in real time, or if you found us uh, at some point in the distant future where we've already recorded that, then uh, yeah, go ahead and just hit play on your next thing in the feed. Um, 
Yeah, Michael and I are so thankful that you've chosen to spend your time with us. We know there's a great deal of podcasts uh, that you can enjoy. Um, please do reach out and get in touch. We want to continue this conversation with you. Uh, our email address, once again, is before they were live at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, which is before they were dot live or uh, through the uh, Christian Humanist Network, which is uh, Christian Humanist dot org um our press liaison is uh kristen philippic and uh so i'm josh altman and for michael as well i say spread your boundless faith and courage wherever you go